So we're in this fall series um, on back to school, talking about learning and unlearning. Learning is not just a school thing, it's an all of life thing. Uh, but sometimes we have a hard time learning and unlearning. Albert Einstein said, only two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. Sometimes we do come across a little bit stupid, a little bit unwilling to change our views. Uh, and whether or not we're willing to learn is really whether or not we're willing to change our mind and change how we think. And it's hard for us to learn when our views are challenged because it's uncomfortable. We have a hard time taking in new information and, and changing our minds. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We called it bias. Um, but without changing our minds and changing our assumptions, there is no growth and there is no evolution. I mean, the whole reason we exist is because living things for millions of years were able to take in new information about their environment and adapt and change. Um, but it's hard for us as humans to change the way we think and change our behavior. Um, and we talked about Jesus' word for that, which was based on two Greek words, and it's translated as repent, which means to transcend your way of thinking into a new way of thinking, new way of being. And Jesus addressed bias. And he would tell people, you have eyes to see, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. He seemed to understand that we as humans look at reality through a lens of our, our bias, our assumptions that may not be accurate. And we sometimes use the, the bias that we have to manipulate people or look down on people or mistreat other people. Um, so it can be dangerous and it can keep us from seeing the truth. And for those who are willing to move beyond their bias, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. So the question we're asking today, uh, two weeks ago we asked, so how do we deal with the, bi the bias in our own lives? Today we're asking, how do we engage with people who are unwilling to change their minds, who have a worldview that is so different and opposite of our own? How do we engage with them? The hard question. And maybe it's a coworker who's refusing to change their thinking about um, a project or a job or maybe a family member who is so different when it comes to p politics and theology um, or an old church friend who is challenging your views on LGBTQIA inclusion and rights. Um, or maybe it's a volatile post on social media. All of those situations just kind of puts you in fight, flight, freeze, or there's a fourth, fawn, which is usually what I do. He's kind of <laughs> play dead and pretend it's not happening, right? That's my go-to. Because um, those are very stressful situations. Because our, our mind literally goes, that is a threat to your survival when we're faced uh, with people who have such different worldviews um, and way of life. So what do we do? We like to think that we are such rational, logical beings in this world, that we're all just a bunch of Spocks walking around. We're so smart. Sometimes we are as stupid as Einstein says that we are. Um, we're not fully rational beings. We are driven more by our emotions than our rational mind. And psychologist, moral psychologist Jonathan Haidt uh, gave an illustration of this. I'm not. I'm, I'm breaking it. Uh, of a rider on an elephant 
So the elephant is the emotional part of your brain. Um, and it's the automatic part of your brain that keeps you breathing and heart beating and that takes in um, environmental stuff that could be a threat. That's the elephant. The rider is the logical, rational part of our brain. When we're faced with situations, the rider has a really hard time controlling a six-ton elephant. We are mainly driven primarily first by our gut, our emotions, not our rational brain. So what do we do with that? When I'm in an argument, this is often how I think. I'm not arguing. I'm just explaining why I'm right. It's the difference. But if you're trying to prove someone wrong with facts, you're trying to appeal to the, the writer on the elephant, their logical part, it's not going to work. In fact, psychologists, maybe Kevin can point you to the studies, psychologists are finding that they call it the backfire effect, that when you're presented with facts and it disagrees with your current way of thinking, you're just going to dig your heels deeper into what you already believe. So if you come into a debate or an argument or just a discussion about different views on things, just don't even try the fact route. It's not going to work. You have to appeal to the elephant. You got to get some peanuts or something to feed the elephant. The emotion, the gut, is that's what you have to appeal to. So a starting point when we engage with other people, I think, can be found in this uh, verse in Colossians. It was written, um, we don't really know who wrote it. It's attributed to Paul, uh, to a faith community in, in Colossae and uh, modern-day Turkey area. Uh, and they were struggling with debates about their theology um, and what to do with all this Jesus stuff. And the author of Colossians, this letter says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love, it would be so helpful in my life if I just came into every engagement, every interaction, conversation, just put on my compassion shirt. <laughs> it's so corny. Just put on my gentleness. Be mindful, intentional. Okay, am I in a space where I can feel some compassion and gentleness and patience? And I love this Proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath. The harsh word stirs up anger. But when we're triggered, oh, it's so easy to have a tone, a voice that's harsh. We've got to get our point across. We've got to defend ourselves. We feel like we're being attacked. We're learning through uh, dog training techniques. Harsh, negative words, tone doesn't work. It backfires. Uh, you have to be gentle. Use a gentle tone. Use positive affirmation. Um, and same goes for humans. <laughs> we're not that different than puppies. Um, be gentle. So I think those are helpful starting points. So when I get ready to have a conversation, sometimes I know it's going to happen. Maybe it's with, uh, with family members who disagree, you know, Thanksgiving table. Um, or maybe it's with a coworker I'm going to have a hard conversation with. Um, I haven't had to do that with Jake, luckily, but I have in the past for sure. Um, do a temperature check. Am I feeling on edge? Am I feeling uh, angry? Am I feeling frustrated? Um, do I need to be right in this moment? Um, if so, maybe I need to step back 
and put up a little bit of a boundary and breathe, kind of calm my nervous system, calm the elephant part of me uh, before I move forward. Uh, and then proceed with caution. Don't go barreling in. Uh, and when you do feel like it's safe to engage this person, start with finding some naming, some things that you have in common. Um, offer some praise, some appreciation for something that you do love about them or the way they think. Um, that goes a long ways. Be sincere about your curiosity. If you go in thinking, I am right in this and they're wrong, maybe step back until you're in a place where I really wonder why they think the way they do and what happened in their life that led them to think the way they do. I'm so curious. Help me understand. Then maybe we can lean into the conversation um, closer. And I love this next step. It comes from not Jesus first, but the Buddha who said, do not treat others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. So what I, would, what I want someone to talk to me like this in that tone of voice, um, we know that Jesus said, turned this around and gave the same message five, six hundred years later. It said, do unto others, uh, you would have them do unto you. Treat others how you want to be treated. Gosh, that's just such a powerful starting point for every interaction with every human being uh, or animal being. We don't have to respect a person's views. There are some views that people have uh, that I have no appreciation for because they are life-limiting. They're harmful, they're hurtful, uh, and they're dangerous. So I, I don't always respect their views. But I can somehow, with God's help, find a place in me where I acknowledge and recognize and appreciate their uh, humanity, their dignity. Appreciate that they have had experiences very different than my own. And I can learn from that. Um, appreciate that they have an existence on this earth with me. And we are connected. Um, so I can respect that. I don't, you don't have to respect their views. So there's an old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So if you go into a conversation without a sense of care for that person, it's not going to go well. But that's really hard, especially when there's conflict. It's really hard. It takes a lot of energy. That's why self-care is so important, especially when we have jobs. We're dealing with hard situations and people... Um, you have to have self-care because if you don't have the energy to get into that space, it's, it's not going to go well a lot of times. Um, so if facts don't change minds, if we can throw out the truth because <laughs> facts aren't going to work, then what do we do? I believe that story is a path to steering the elephant. A story. Walter Brueggemann, he's one of the leading um, world scholars on the Hebrew Bible. He said, the deep places in our lives, places of resistance and embrace, are reached only by stories, by images, metaphors, phrases that line out the world differently apart from our fear and hurt. Stories have a way of piercing through our fear and our hurt and our insecurities to help us see ourselves in a different scenario, to see ourselves as a different character. Facts don't do that. 
Sometimes I have a hard time expressing emotion. Um, when I watch a movie, it just lets it all out. If it's a good movie and a good meaningful story and powerful music with it, I just, ugh, it just does something in me. It just does a release in me. Reading a scientific journal on a study does not do that for me. Facts don't do that for me, but story does. You put on a Pixar movie, and I have to have a box of tissues by my side. Story is powerful. And that's what I see Jesus doing. When he engaged with people, he used stories and metaphors and, and parables. He communicated really deep things in simple ways that people knew. Like talked about like our agriculture and farming and planting and losing things and finding them again. And talked about dinner parties and told stories about, about those. And when people, uh, when the, the man asked Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't give him an answer. He said, what do you think? He asked the question. They said, well, love God and love your neighbor. Jesus said, yeah. And then the man asked, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus didn't say the person next door. He said, there was a Samaritan man who was walking down the road, and he was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. He told a story. I think we can follow that example of Jesus. hard. I'm not good at creating stories. I have to really think. Like, what is a good story I can frame around an experience I've had in my life or someone I know that can communicate this deep thing where people can connect and see beyond their bias? It takes a lot of time and energy, but it's worth it because it's how we move forward in such a polarized world. It's how we move forward. So when it is safe to engage, I would do want to say this. There will be some people in your life who will never change their mind. And be cautious with those people. Maybe they say, um, you know, the Bible says this, always will be that way. And if you think anything other, you're wrong. Be cautious, set a boundary with those people. There will be people that will not change their minds, or it may take decades. We change our minds one little step at a time. And so just be cautious. It's okay to set boundaries. You don't have to change everyone's mind. And if you're going out, if that's your purpose in a conversation, uh, just save your energy. <laughs> try to understand. And the hard thing is to try to understand what's underneath their way of thinking. What is the reason that they have a bias? We have biases because they make us feel better. They offer some sense of comfort in how we see the world and how we deal with the problems in our life and the world. Um, this is why conspiracy theories are so popular. They provide easy answers to really hard, complex problems, and they often point us to someone that we can blame. It says, you know, the government's doing this, you know. Blame them. It may not be true, but at least gives my mind some comfort to be able to not have so much mystery. You know, you have the Sasquatch conspiracy theory. Uh, anyone believe in Sasquatch? Has anyone seen 
Sasquatch in the Pacific Northwest? It's okay, you can say yes. It may be true. Undecided. <laughs> I did read that the person who, uh, I think it was a few decades ago, revealed pictures of footprints of Sasquatch. And he died um, early 2000s, and his family came out and said, yeah, that was a prank. That was a complete joke. But it led to more and more people believing it. It was true. And you know the one about Elvis? Elvis never died. Elvis is still alive. Tupac also, yeah. Is he? <laughs> There's the one that... Um, Keith Richards is actually JFK Jr. Do you see any resemblance? I don't know about that one. There is a conspiracy theory. The American Journal of Political Science found that about half of Americans believe at least one conspiracy theory because they give us some sense of comfort. So it makes sense. They give an easy answer to complicated questions. We're not st completely stupid, as Einstein joked, but we are insecure and we're stressed. And sometimes we feel hopeless. And bias and conspiracy theories help offer a relief to those things. So it makes sense. So when we ask if someone believes something that we're like, how could you even think that way? Maybe think, what's, a, what's the fear underneath there? What's the insecurity? What are they longing for or hoping for? That, that that view is somehow meeting that need. Try to get underneath the surface a little bit. My seminary professor, Dr. Frank Rogers, he's the director for the Center of Engaged Compassion, and he has made a career of decades studying compassion and how to cultivate compassion. And he's worked with a lot of inner city kids and gangs um, about how to recover um, and start a new life with compassionate practices. Um, and he told us a story in class one day of um, years prior his son's 12-year-old dog, Misty, uh, Siberian Husky, had died. And so Frank promised his son one morning that he would go to the trails where Misty would run and scatter her ashes as a memorial to Misty. And so Frank drives to the trailhead, and there's no parking. And it's in a residential area, and he just circles the neighborhood, can't find parking anywhere, which is a problem because he has a meeting to get to that morning. So he keeps circling the neighborhood. He finally finds one spot in front of a house, and he parks in the spot, and there's a public parking sign um, a little bit down from the trailhead, so he's fine. He gets out of the car, and he grabs all of his stuff and, and Misty's ashes, and he starts to walk to the trailhead, and he sees something terribly frightening. There's a large man who's just barreling down the driveway, screaming at him. Said, what are you doing? You're parking right in front of my house. This is my house. This is my lawn. And Frank just startled. What, I, I'm not on your property. I'm on the street. And this is, it's public parking. The sign is right here. He says, what? you're not listening to me. How could you park in front of my house like this? You're not going to help me. No one's going to help me. So just leave. He had a rake in his hand. And he looked like he was about to swing. And Frank just kind of froze. And the guy just shook his head, angry, and walked back into his house. 
And Frank was faced with two decisions. Can go off to the trailhead and just be bitter and angry and have a story to tell about some crazy man. Or he can practice what he had been teaching for decades, how to cultivate compassion. So he took a breath and he walked up to the house, knocked on the door. The man opened it and saw him, was taken aback, did not expect him to come to the door and answer. Um, and Frank said, I'm sorry. I, you're, I, you're clearly really bothered that I parked there and I did not intend, uh, intend to bother you at all. I'm very sorry. I was not listening to you um, and I should have. Uh, so I can go move my car. I'll find another spot. Um, and Frank said, yeah, I, I was just, my son's dog died, and I just wanted to scatter her ashes, ashes on the trail and, and just go back to my day at work. And the man kind of softened a bit and said, your son's dog died. Uh, my daughter's dog was killed in the fighting. And he said that, he kind of looked off in the distance. You, and Frank could tell he was somewhere else in that moment. He softened. The man said, people park here all the time. They don't care. People live here. Um, the man said, I'm, I'm from uh, Baghdad, Iraq. And, and uh, one day, a car parked in front of our house, and uh, it was a bomb in the car. And the car exploded in front of our house. And 20 minutes before that, my six-year-old daughter had been playing where that car was. And now she won't, uh, every time she, uh, she has nightmares at night. And every time she looks out the window and sees a car, she says, Daddy, please move the car. Please move the car. And the man said to Frank, what's a dad to do in that situation? Um, in that moment, Frank softened. And they realized in that moment that the parking of the car didn't matter at all. It wasn't about the car. Uh, Frank is in that moment faced with dealing with the grief of his son, dealing with their dog passing, and this father's grief of his daughter's uh, traumatic event fear. Two fathers dealing with uh, the grief and violence of the world and how to protect their kids. That's what it was about. So when we see someone lashing out, like how can they act that way? How can they think that way? Ask, what's it really about? It's not about that thing that they're so frustrated about. What's underneath? We may not always be in a space where we can go up to the door and engage. That's okay. But take a step back and ask that question. So when we engage in those difficult conversations and difficult topics, let our purpose and our goal be to offer comfort to them. Maybe they're furious. Maybe they're angry. Uh, Maybe it's even someone, a stranger, that, you know, just starts yelling at you. Let your goal in every interaction, how can I be a comfort to them? Because they need some comfort. Something's going on in their life. 
I think that is how we become the way of Jesus in our life. And I think that is a way forward in the middle of such a polarizing, polarizing country we live in. As we are headed into an election season, we need to be a comfort to one another. So let's do that. Okay, Jake, can you comfort us? It's Jake's last Sunday with Mission Gathering, and he's going to share a little bit and say a goodbye. Um, we are just so grateful for the year and a half, almost two years, that you and Olivia have been a part of this community. and um, So thankful for the gifts that you've brought and your passion and your energy. Um, and we're sad that you're moving and I hope it doesn't work out and that you move back really quickly, <laughs> selfishly. No, I don't think that. But. Thank you. Take a hug. Thank you. Hey. Well, I don't want to move. Uh, too quickly past everything that was just said because I really loved um, that message and that story and uh, and you're right we need that kind of compassion um, now more than ever and I feel that because uh, I'm, we're moving to a red state so <laughs> um, but yeah I'm so grateful just to have a quick moment to just share um, what this community has meant to me and to us, and um, also in line with the message, I do want to just kind of frame it into a bit of a story. And so I'll start with a story. Um, let's see if this, oh, there we go. All right, this is the best picture of me, just composition-wise. It's my favorite picture I've ever taken of myself. No, I'm actually not good at selfies. It's my weakness. Um, but. Uh, in 2018, I was working at an evangelical megachurch, and I um, went to Pride, but I had to kind of like sneak to, to, go, to go to Pride, you know? Like I wanted to be a part of the, the festivities, but I wasn't like actually allowed to go to Pride, you know? And uh, so me and my friend who worked at the church with me we went to Pride, and actually that year we ended up walking around and talking to... Uh, there was a booth for Mission Gathering Issaquah um, in 2018, and we ended up chatting with, with them, and it was such an interesting experience for me because I realized that there were actually people doing this work, this inclusive, um, affirming faith work, and I didn't, I had never really interacted with people actually doing it before, so it was really profound, and flash forward to 2022, and... Um, then I got to be a part of the booth that we had at Pride, and I had someone painted those beautiful flags on my face, and I got to actually, for my job, go to Pride and, and just tell people, you're loved, you've always been loved, you're perfect as you are, just you're safe. Um, and that, for me, really illustrates the shift that happened in my life over the past um, couple of years and was really cemented during my time here. And uh, so I would say that the first thing that, that really has been um, 
I was thinking kind of these these specific attributes of things that have really meant the most to me um, being here at Mission Gathering. And I, and I would think that for a lot of you, you probably relate to these as well. Um, just the freedom, the freedom to be um, who I am, the freedom to express uh, my own faith journey as it is. Uh, and, and as someone who has, has identified, you know, straight and cisgender and white, nonetheless, there is still this feeling of wanting to like come out a little bit as an affirming, inclusive person of faith, you know? And, uh, and I was able to do that so safely and loved here. And I, and I know for, for all of you, you feel a sense of freedom that you can be who you are and explore faith, um, however it fits you. Um, the next thing I would say is that here, uh, Olivia and I found community and, um, this is us doing community <laughs> and, um, uh, and she's laughing at my joke, which is great. Um, and uh, I just think community is just so important because it can, uh, especially going through, you know, evolving faith, it can feel so lonely at times, um, not really knowing how uh, to move forward. And, and so just having people around you to say, you're not alone, we're going through this too. Oh my gosh, it's meant so much to us. It's meant so much to me. Um, thank you for just sharing your stories, for sharing the table with us and saying, yeah, this is what it's been like for us. It's meant so much and it's really been healing. Um, Safety and belonging. So something that my time at Mission Gathering has really taught me is that an aspect of community is that um, this is us being safe and belonging. Um, and and I, I realized that part of community is, is that you're safe, and, and when you belong, you're safe to be wrong. You're safe not to have all the answers. You know, like showing up here, I had, I had my whole life, I had spent my whole life in evangelical megachurch contexts, and I had so badly wanted uh, to be a part of a community like this, and then I got this amazing opportunity, but then it's like, I don't, I'm not the, I'm not the expert, I don't know how to, I mean, this is all new to me, and, and so everyone here has been so welcoming to say, hey, like, you're still figuring it out, you're still learning how to be in a community like this, and I may not say all the right things at times, or but there's so much understanding, and I think that's the beauty that is is shared here is that we're all just safe to show up as we are. We don't need to be perfect. We don't need to know how to do this. None of us really do, right? But we understand in this context and in this container, you're safe. You're belong. You're seen for uh, who you are. Um, Exploring. This is me exploring. It was actually our first uh, Church of the Wild that I went to, and um, that type of event that we do, I know it's a favorite for a lot of us. Um, and for me, it kind of is this picture of how in this community, um, there's so much safety to explore faith, where, where kind of the way of Christ in a lot of ways is the foundation, and it's a jumping off point for us to explore all different kinds of topics. You know, the, I think of the series that we've done, even just since I've been here, we've talked about mental health, physical health, we've talked about um, care for the earth, we've talked about, um, you know, just the spectrum of sexuality and, and um, race and women's rights, and it's just, it's so amazing that we can explore faith from so many different angles. Um, again, that's just something that I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity to be a part of, and that this community is just so, um, it's such a big part and uh, I hope you feel that safety as well to do that. And uh, then with all those things kind of 
cascading one into the other, having that safety, having that belonging, having that freedom to explore, then to come back and be able to contribute. Um, and it's not just me. I know I know for, for all of you, I mean, there's a space here throughout the week and on Sunday mornings for you to bring your gifts, your talents, your poetry, your art, your uh, desire to just um, to share. Um, and that really can add and it becomes part of the community. And, and for me, I think one of my favorite um, things, just looking back on my time here, was being able to write songs for this community, for this time, for this place. Um, and so to be able to contribute in that way was just such a formative, healing, powerful thing. And I'm so grateful for that space to do that. Thank you for receiving that. And I hope that moving forward, you all feel just even more encouraged to bring your art, your your work, your creativity, your, your time. Devin is just so open to everything that you all bring. And so he is more than anyone I ever met. If you email him and say, hey, I have this thing that I want to try or I want to share this thing, he is so open to that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm so grateful that he was open to the stuff that I had to share. Let's see. Oh, Tucson. Okay. <laughs> so with all that being said, um, this, all those things and so many more that I have not named, this, this last couple of years has just been uh, so amazing because really for me, coming out of the evangelical megachurch background that I had, I, I saw progressive ministry, progressive Christianity, progressive spirituality as something that was a dream, was something that I longed to be a part of, that I believed was, uh, I, just, I just had a belief that this could be a thing, you know, that this existed, but I didn't even know, I hadn't really experienced firsthand what this would actually feel like. And being here, uh, being able to be a part of this community, um, really has not only restored my faith in what community can be, but it's also affirmed this idea that I had of like, whoa, it, it does exist. Like progressive spirituality in community exists and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And so I feel more enthusiastic than ever about this work and this type of space. Um, it's funny, I learned recently the root word of enthusiastic is entheo, which essentially means to be filled with the spirit. And so I feel like on a spiritual level, so um, just so passionate about creating the kind of space that we create here. And now, now I've been kind of called on this journey to continue to create that kind of the same kind of space that we have to just continue to do that, that there are communities like us all over this country. There's not a lot and they're not big, but they're, they're are, they are there. And, and so I was able to get connected with this community in Tucson who, again, just for me, I look and I go, if I could just bring them some of what we have here, they've been doing it. They, they have a long history and they've been creating the kind of community that exists here. They share a lot of the same values. A lot of, so it's a very similar type of spiritual community. And just to be able to kind of, um, broaden the circles and, and you will always be a part of our community and now we can, you know, add this and we have this, we have a whole West Coast empire we're building, but <laughs> no, it's a, um, but I, but I, I for me, I, I, um, I guess I, I, I did post uh, some things on social media, but if just the specifics are, I've accepted a role to be a lead pastor of a uh, progressive spiritual community, a lot like Mission Gathering um, in Tucson, Arizona and the heat that's all I can, we'll figure that out. But um, <laughs> but uh, it's been my time here that's actually given me uh, the confidence. It's 
Devin being a mentor to me. It's you saying you're you're safe here to belong. That's actually built me up to a place where I feel like I can then keep going and, and continue on my journey and continue to share this type of love that we experience here elsewhere. And so thank you. And it's kind of an ironic thing. It's like, thank you for, for so holding space for me that now I feel like I can, you know, keep, keep going, you know, and, um, and, and that will look different for every one of us. Like, I hope you all stay here and keep plugged in here, but there are versions of keep going that exist for you. Like what's the next thing for you? And, and I hope that you find here a level of safety and, and encouragement that allows you to do that in your own life. Um, and so I just want to, that's kind of what I'm doing, and that's where we've been. And I just wanted to say a few encouragements to you um, before I go. This is just a picture of, this was Easter. And, and really what it makes me think of is how, how can you, so how can you continue to hold the fort down here, right? How can you continue to hold space? How can you continue this work um, here at Mission Gathering? Well, I think one thing you can do is keep showing up and just keep participating. I think that I thank you for showing up today. And I think every time you show up and you just engage and you just bring your whole self and you just participate, I think you're affirming the very idea of what this type of community is. And you're, you're saying this belongs, this needs to exist. Um, obviously, giving is like another way to do that. But again, even just showing up and saying this is a type of community that we want to exist, I think is so powerful. The next thing, there are progressive, again, like I said, there are progressive communities, but none of them are, they're all grassroots and they're all DIY, you know? And so um, just the fact that like we can come together and help, like showing up early on a Sunday morning, showing up sometimes and helping paint, like these are things that really are, are so huge for a community like this. And we're so grateful that y'all have um, given your time and energy to do things like that. And lastly, um, just enjoy, enjoy this, enjoy this, enjoy this. It's such a beautiful thing. Just, just meet at the table, share, continue to just engage. Um, it's bittersweet that we won't always be physically here to do that with you, but knowing that you will continue to just enjoy what this community is and the safety that it, that it provides. Um, I think that's so much of, of continuing that work. And lastly, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a picture of the four of us. Olivia unfortunately didn't make the cut. Josie, Josie got a lot more um, than Olivia. But um, I do just want to say a huge thank you to Devin and Kylie. Kylie is out there somewhere I know. Um, <laughs> uh, and I want to remind you and just again remind you of, of how special of a pastor you have and. Um, what a beautiful couple and, and team that they are. Uh, I, when I came into this church, um, I had been kind of recovering from some wounding from uh, different church roles and, and specifically the people who had kind of been above me in leadership, um, some really authoritative, domineering energy, uh, and it really caused some, some wounding for me, and being here has healed so much of that um, Devin, all the all the things that you just described about in your message, gentleness, compassion, you demonstrate that and you you do that as a person and as a leader. And um, it's been 
incredibly healing for me and um and Kylie works very hard. She has a very fast-paced career, and she's going to school, and yet she takes the time to be here and gives a lot of her energy and time uh, to facilitate this space. So what a special gift you have in the two of them, and uh, I am just so grateful to have gotten to know you. I will, you, you, of course, and you all will be lifelong friends and part of our spiritual community no matter where we go. And uh, that is about it. I did not. <laughs> so, I did not tell him to say any of that. <laughs> I had no idea what he was going to say. That was so kind. Thank you. I want us to offer some intention of uh, just a prayer for Jake and Olivia and Josie as they go on their next adventure. If I can get through it. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> I don't, it's the movies, too. I, I usually save it for the yeah. movies. Maybe I'm better at showing emotion, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so find in, in you an intention of uh, well-being and growth and peace for them, comfort. Um, so God, we express in this moment gratitude for Jake and Olivia and Josie. And thank you for the love and energy that they've put into this space, into this community. Uh, thank you for the gifts that they have so willingly offered to this community. And we pray for comfort for them, because every move is hard. Every transition is hard. So give them peace. Um, give them the uh, ability to adapt, and go with the flow, and remind them that you are always there. And we pray for the community that will be welcoming them. Uh, they don't realize the gifts uh, and the love that is coming. Uh, so may they grow and, and uh, grow in love for all people as they learn what it means to follow the way um, of Christ in this world. And give Jake and Olivia the strength and the wisdom to know how to do that well. May they find great friends and have amazing memories and uh, give them the ability to come back a lot. Mm. <laughs> we pray all these things uh, in the name of God, in the name of love. Amen. May, let it be. That's what amen means. Let it be so. Thank you all. <laughs> do this. <laughs> Our group discussion today is just saying goodbye. So. Oh, we do have a benediction. Ada Maria Isasi Diaz is the founder of a theology called Mujerista Theology. She's Cuban-American. Um, she developed a theology that honors the experiences of Hispanic women. Uh, uh, and challenges the patriarchy uh, that goes uh, along with their culture. Um, she said, humility is not a matter of self-effacement and self-negation, but of being open always to new ways of being responsible. So that's our closing prayer for the message. Uh, that humility, which is what it takes to do all the things that we talked about today, is not a matter of making ourselves smaller, 
It's being open to new ways, new possibility and new ways of being. Uh, and that's what Jake and Olivia are doing as they follow their, this call to, to move. Uh, so yeah, goodbyes are hard. But luckily, we have a cute puppy to help us through the emotions. So <laughs> thank you all for being here.